0: Hi and welcome to this episode of the Tez Magazine Debrief podcast. I'm Dan Worth and uh, this is for the 27th of August issue of Tez. Unbelievably we've reached the end of summer um, but hopefully that's not too much of a dispiriting place to start this podcast. Um, I'm delighted to be joined as ever by Gronya Hallahan. Hi Gronya. Hello. How are you today?
1: I'm very good, thank you.
0: Excellent. And I don't have anyone else to introduce currently, it's just going to be the two of us, although we are going to have a guest speaker appearing later on in the podcast. But the two of us will definitely provide more than ample entertainment and insight on this issue of Tez, so let's get started. Okay, the first piece we're going to talk about is Gráinne's Choice, and this is all about names. Uh Grosje I suppose, that's an issue you've come across in school, <laughs> both as a student and as a teacher, but why don't you tell us about what this piece is about and um, we'll go from there.
1: Okay, so Irina Barker wrote this piece, and it's all about the importance of knowing names. And, you know, your journey of your name through school for somebody who has got an unusual name begins... From the second you walk in through that reception door. And it's it's something that plagues you all through your school career. You know, when you're a person who's got an unusual name, you know about it from the second the the register is read out Mm -hmm. loud, even before they get to your name, it's those few seconds of pause when everybody in the room turns around and looks at you and you think, oh, here we go, they're gonna. What are they going to call me this time? And, you know, it's it's different degrees of awkwardness for people with different sorts of names. For some people, they know that their name will be mispronounced. And then it's not even really that significant in the class because nobody pronounces it correctly. It's it's something that comes into different cultures. Students from different backgrounds are are more disproportionately affected by this because in different cultures, their names won't necessarily be phonetically pronounced. So... It's a tricky one. So Irina Barker is the person who's written this piece and she goes into some really interesting detail and some research around the importance of names. And she describes something that I love called the cocktail party effect. And this is the, the way that even when you're in a really busy, noisy room, if you hear your name being said, you can hear that, you can pick that out, out of all of the, the words that are being said and everything that's going on. You can you can hear your name and it's the way that our ears prick up and we take notice. So saying someone's name increases their level of attention and we can use this to our benefit as teachers because... We can then use a student's name to try and engage them more in class. But if you can't pronounce their name properly in the first place, you know, you get into a bit of a tangle. And she talks about um, uh, a study that Peter Fonagy, who's a professor of psychoanalysis at UCL, who I've interviewed before. And I think Peter's fantastic. And he talks about a test that they did where a study where they used um, students names and students performed better on the test. You know, we know it's a really powerful tool. Mm. and she goes on to you know reasons why students will respond better to their names and the importance of, of of learning their names and and some a little bit about the different methods you can use and she says you know it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you do it and that's that's what's so important so dan i suppose you don't get too much trouble with your name do you
0: no, no. Although one teacher did used to at primary school used to call me Danny, which I really didn't like. I've never been a Danny. And so my mum had to go in and ask her politely if she would stop calling me <laughs> Danny, because I was too scared to obviously when I was like, you know, five or six, whatever it was, to um to to say that. But but no, other than that, I think my name's fairly easy to remember. But, but I suppose that's the point, though, isn't it? It's the, big, it's the bigger issue is that it's not about it's like if you've got thirty pupils in one class and you're teaching many classes and suddenly you've got to remember 150 names and of course some children will have the same name repeatedly and some will have very unique names or from nations different cultures as you say that are hard to, to pronounce um and that's a challenge isn't it and, and as you said it sort of sounds a bit it sounds obvious in a way like oh call people by their names and they'll pay attention or we respond better when we're called by a name but it, that's all well and good but you've actually got to remember those names and use them and if you get them wrong it's one of those things that people do take fence i don't know if you get your name wrong even if even well not always but they can do or they it can, or you can feel embarrassed yourself if you get it wrong even though you've literally just learned it and of course you might forget it we have a big thing about oh i'm terribly sorry and it's like well all right it's polite to apologize but it's almost like well you know you can't be held too harshly for forgetting a name that you've just remembered but yeah for teachers i guess it is a challenge i mean are there good tricks to remembering people's names i suppose you have to be careful not to sort of kind of too clever an association that then you accidentally use their actual real name or something like that.
1: Yes. So when I was when I was teaching, I used to ask students to find out the the etymology of their name, or find out a reason why they were called that name, or something interesting about their name.
0: Oh, that's good. And yeah. then
1: at the end of every lesson, in that first couple, in those first couple of weeks, we would go around the class, and you know, they would, first of all, they would tell me their name and the reason for it. And then when we went round to, when I dismissed them, I would dismiss them by the people, students whose names I could remember, that they would come and stand at the front and they would be able to like file out afterwards. So it took a bit of time. But having that that memory trick, having that reason to remember their names really helped. And I honestly, I can still remember some of the reasons why the students had their names. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, taught, I taught a girl called Amy and she said her dad had called her Amy and her brother Ben because he picked three letter names as he didn't want them to struggle to spelling their own names and you know wasn't sure if they'd be clever or not. So he went with Amy and Ben. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's a logic, I suppose, yeah.
1: <laughs> and she thought it was so funny. I can remember her little, little indignant face as she came, came and told me. And it's, you know, it's it's really handy and it, it helps you have a little hook to remember the student and it means that you you have a bit of a bonding moment with that student. And you know when I was first first started teaching, I was really embarrassed about my name. I didn't want the kids to know what my name was. If they ever mm. saw it on on school correspondence, I would I would feel like my heart my heart would sink so I knew the next day that somebody would ask me about it. and I was really, really embarrassed about it and it took me years to get past that until I realized that by sharing with students who also had difficult, names to pronounce by saying you know i do know how you feel like that's how i f- used to feel with my name please do correct me if i pronounce your name incorrectly because i'd mm. hate to do that and um i felt that like that that really actually helped me in the, in the end and it was something that i thought was a hindrance in my life when i was younger and actually it's it, i think it's it's a benefit in lots of ways because it it's difficult to imagine how embarrassing and endless it can be when you do have a name that's not from the country that you live in and you're forever encountering, oh, where are you from? What's that network? Is it your dad who's Irish? Is it your mum who's Irish? Mm. And or, or not even, there's people that don't get that it's Irish. And when you do say it's Irish, they're really surprised. And it's that whole, oh, Irish names, aren't they awful to pronounce? Aren't they awful to spell? And I just feel like a bit endless negativity about it. It's, it. Now, as I'm older, I'm like, yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. I love my name. I make a real point of saying how much I like it to try and fend off that that onslaught of negativity about, oh, I knew a Siobhan and a Sinead. It's like, oh, yeah. did you? Everyone knows a Siobhan and a Sinead.
0: Yeah, well, it shows, doesn't it? Yeah, like you say, like names, though, they're complicated like that. And Dan, I guess, is a very simple name and it's three letters. And maybe that's why my parents chose it as well. Although I guess, you know, it's Daniel, really. But but yeah, I don't know. And, and um, it's like, it reminds me of... me. Sort of this idea of names and their power. I used to work when I was at university, I worked in Asda for summer holidays, and you have to wear a little name badge saying, you know, hi, I'm my name is Dan. And I remember whenever someone would call me by my name when I was working, I, was working, I worked on the tills, and someone I'd be doing something, you know, scanning, and they'd say, oh, Dan, could I have an extra bag, please, or something. And it always used to really throw me that they knew my name and they were actually reading a name tag. And it's a weird thing, though, isn't it? Because someone knowing your name is so, it's like, well, who cares? But it just did sort of, it was a bit like, it was a part of you being given away yes, for free. Yes, and they
1: have you at a disadvantage because you don't know their name, do you? It's
0: it does feel a bit like that. It does feel a bit, and it's a bit direct. It's like, Dan, and it's almost as if I know you and I can, and I, and I found that, I found that, I found that strange. I suspect there's more psychology to that. Oh, I'm is,
1: glad that you find that strange. I'd find that strange. And but the the, the the my children's school used to be on a road where there was a lollipop lady and, or a, a a road control person lollipop lady shouldn't lollipop stick and um the the other children would call her jill i'm like morning jill bye jill and i wouldn't let my girls do that because i felt like it was overly familiar because she didn't know their name so i made Mm. them go and introduce themselves to her and then they were allowed to call her jill because i think you you do have someone at a disadvantage if they know your name and you don't know theirs i worked at b and q for a while and i do you remember the aprons with your name on them on mm-hmm. there yeah Ugh. and I, I, no, I never put my name on it I used to have someone else's name because I didn't want to have my name on, on my apron because right, it would be that's a good, endless yeah, that's a- and I, had, I used to wear someone's apron who was called Jazz but well, that's easier so I was just Jazz and I would never respond to it because it wasn't my name <laughs>
0: but it's quite funny that it's not like using yeah like the power of names and why they put it as a disadvantage and i guess in a classroom environment you know that's not quite the same dynamic is it because there's an expectation that you'll know their name and then you know, you know miss hallahan or whatever it is you know you have you have your you're you're both presenting a name to to use for each other and i guess also you have you have maybe you have sir or or madam or miss or all that kind of stuff and again there's all sorts of things around that as well isn't there like some people probably say that they're, they're too differential or whatever it is i mean it just shows isn't it that the, the the complications here but i think overall the piece is, is an interesting one, just a sort of a sort of powerful reminder at this point of the year particularly that those efforts you might make now in the start of september to learn the names like you said to come up with or get them to introduce their names and why all those little little things can actually have a big impact in sort of engagement in in being able to sort of identify someone in the moment in the class and being able to obviously that famous thing of telling someone off by sort of using their name mm. sort of de- definitively that's never going to work as well if you go oh um you over there could you stop whereas if you can just say you know ben what are you doing you know that kind of thing however it, however it's done best but you know that kind of idea
1: yeah it, oh is it so. if you try and tell a child off and you get their name wrong and then it's all mm. about getting their name wrong and not what they've done in the first yeah case. you've
0: lost you've lost all authority haven't you yeah exactly excellent well that's a that's a good um a good point to leave it on the why you need to get it right so yeah excellent. So definitely worth having a read of that featured by Irina barker Excellent. So the next piece we're going to look at is the growth mindset column. And Gráinne, for this one, you have interviewed the author of this piece, which is Jude Hunton. So we're going to have a listen to that interview now.
1: So I am joined by Jude Hunton, who is the author of our growth mindset column this week. Jude, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So, form shooters. It's the job that I think teachers either smile when you tell them that they've got a form next year, or they make that slightly frozen grimace of "Oh no, this again." <laughs> it's definitely a marmite role—you love it or you hate it. Tell me a little bit about your time as a form tutor.
2: Well, I—I've um, been teaching for about fifteen years, and I uh, went into teaching thinking because um, I'm an English teacher. Um, can't wait to teach books. I can't wait to talk about English and books. And then somebody said you're going to be a form tutor, and the thought hadn't crossed my mind. And <laughs> it, it came as such a shock. Um, um and I absolutely adored it. It was it was such a a novel experience to have a, a team, if you like, a sort of you know, 25 young people who you see every single morning, and you have some pretty kind of um straightforward procedural things to do with them Um, but you you check in you check in with your team it's 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 like a you know there's 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 very few experiences in school are like that where they're they're so routinized and you are you you feel such warmth and responsibility so i I, know i really enjoyed it being a form tutor and um yeah i would i would go so far as to say i miss it now
1: Well, yes, of course, now you're a head teacher that you don't get to have the the joy of being a a form tutor anymore. But you know, it sounds like you cared about your form. It sounds like I probably would have enjoyed being in your form. Would I have enjoyed being your head of year? What was your admin like? Were Uh, you the sort of form tutor who (laughs) put your form? Um,
2: Hmm. It was not perfect. yeah, I, I, I was a little bit of a blagger at times with some of the, you know, I, in my defense, it depends on the head of year, because sometimes some heads of year would give you a lot of things to hand out, to read out, and it was absolutely impossible to fit 20 notices into that compressed space of time. So, you know, I would play to the gallery a little bit and just ask ask the the, the, the kids in the form what their preferences were for the notices I was about to read, you know what their what clubs they liked, and um, some things got pinned to the wall rather than given the spotlight. But um, I think the important thing is, the tutor time. I was correct on. So um, I suppose the vital things that always seem to come up that are repeated in many different schools and many different form tutor roles have had. So safeguarding, um, punctuality, attendance. Um, Messages, sort of homeschool communication, important messages from, from the absolute top that have to bounce around the school very quickly, all that sort of stuff, yes, followed up on. But when it came to, um, oh, I don't know, you know, there's a new um, IT club or a new like Lego robot club starting and you're staring at, you know, grumpy year 10s first thing on a Monday morning, I sometimes left that note to the bottom <laughs> of the pile. <laughs>
1: You're a better man than me. I remember being always in trouble at a school that I worked in where one day a week we had an extra res- registration, which mm. required a paper register and not SIMS. And wow. I I forgot to do it pretty much every single week. And I would get told off like publicly in the staff meeting, mm. like, Gornia, once again, you have not done <laughs> <laughs> and I hated it it's anything that's out of the ordinary well I guess it was once a week but you know anything that throws me from a a daily routine I'm useless at and now you know routines are are so important which is what your your piece is about isn't it about you know how can we use form time so it's not just sitting there twiddling your thumbs I mean I think some of the worst form activities I've seen mobile Fridays
2: oh good grief (laughs) can we talk about this please this is <laughs> this is <laughs> oh this is like a um a moment for me to be able to you know
1: but vent venting vent,
2: offload massively um how many aimless and pointless form activities have teachers had to do you know you asked a minute you said a minute ago about um, teachers either love or hate being a form tutor mm-hmm. um, yeah there, there there is you know I think there are different there's almost like a binary approach to being to form times zone in schools they're either um very very social where you just sort of get all flung in together everyone's just mucking in having a chat or whatever and um the teacher kind of has to loaf about a bit really (laughs) in the left or there's a a
1: really you're
2: setting everyone up on in you know in the positive spirits for the day and you, everyone feels like they've they've marked time but in a in a in a quite a you know kind and friendly way or there's these um, really intensive um, intricately planned interventionist form times where you know often this happens when you get to year 11 and suddenly the the, the form's been decapitated they no longer have their form tutor so they have the head of english mm. who's there for a rotation they're there for three weeks, but not on a Friday because on a Friday, they, you know, and it goes on and on and on. And you have, uh, everyone's heads are in a spin, and it's it's just um, you know, it's 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 desperately plotted by some by some poor assistant head somewhere who's had to come up with this incredible.
1: And 100%. and all in the meantime, and yeah. neglecting the year sevens and key stage yeah. three, so when they get to year eleven. We just repeat the whole process, the
2: whole thing up again, you know. And did it work? We don't know. (laughs) But we did something. Um, Yeah. So I think form time gets really um, it either gets abandoned a lot of the time, you know, and you you get these sort of you know everybody just as long as the register's done, who cares? Or (laughs) intensive, compressed kind of um, experience where the expectations are unrealistic um yeah, so yeah. yeah i have i have um you know i've got friends in teaching who talk about the you know the, the dreadful aimlessness of fun time friday or you know getting to know you tuesday or and you know, the, the absolute the absolute agony of that as a form tutor what i really think form time is about though is it shouldn't be aimless and nor should it be a kind of hyper-lesson that you try and inject into children's schools, you know, you, in that compressed time. Really, it's it has to fit the school, and it's about acculturation, or really, to borrow a Tom Bennett phrase that I really like, it's, it's about normalising student behaviour. Like, when you enter a restaurant, you know, civilised, there are rules, there are expectations, there are codes, and that... That can be social codes. That can be academic codes. It can be about um, it can be about ethos. It can be about inclusion. It has to suit the school. And what I'm pleased with at Skegness Grammar School and with uh, my trust, um, uh, dret, is that we've established a model where we use prep. It's an idea that sort of um, uh, we've we you know we've borrowed elements from other schools too, like Bedford Freeze, one we ideas from, where students do a lot of retrieval practice in different methods at the start of the day, using knowledge organisers um, and 100% folders, so it gets, it's about ethos there, students are um, thinking about achievement, thinking about academic success, being given the tools to be um, scholars, and we're we're talking about 100% effort all of the time, so that's our our way of um, acculturation for those scholars, those young people. And at the end of the day, we have a second tutor period called DRET Reads, where we read to students. So young people every day in all our DRET schools um, are read to. So we ensure that we're we're generating um, a reading culture.
1: And it's nice being read to; is the best thing. Lovely. Like, it's it's just lovely. so, it's so relaxing. It's,
2: yeah, it's so relaxing, but it's also lovely when it's it's the same group each each day. know, it's it's your team, your your squad, your familiar faces. And we generate that trust and, that, and that, that, that really positive, warm feeling with reading and mm-hmm. with achievement. So, so that works very well for us.
1: That makes me think about some of the best form times I've had when I was a form tutor. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of them involve reading to the form. We used to read a lot of nonfiction together. And I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. And so I had a, a, a year 10 to year 11 form that I picked up from somebody else. And you'd think at that age, like I want to be rented I'm far too old for that. Mm. No, no, no. We used to find like really funny, funny bits in the newspaper, and like I, I started off by bringing them in, and I would read read them out to them, and then they were bringing them in, and they they got to read them out, and it was mm. it was nice. Like it's, yeah. it was you know, it was pretty informal, but it was something that we did together as a group, and they were a tricky form. It's always hard to pick up a form, oh, yeah. but. It was something that we did did all enjoy, and even the ones that pretended they didn't like it, I knew they liked it really. I saw them giggling and laughing. Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a favourite form that you remember having as a form? Oh, to you? I
2: do, I do, and, and um, my favourite form was one that um, it was my the form I had in my second year in teaching. So I'd been in NQT and I had a sick form form mm-hmm. to start with, and that was okay. But um, I was really young, and it was a bit. I was a bit overawed at times, thinking. Know, grief, these kids are pretty old, but then my second year, I, I picked up a year seven form and I absolutely loved it because, um, you know, it was, it was quite funny because, um, a couple of them called me dad by mistake, which was,
0: <laughs>
2: but it was just so warm and so sweet. And, um, I liked what I liked most about it was I could set an example for them, I could be that, that figure of authority for such fresh-faced new young people into the school and I noticed something which now as a as a head I've filed away for helpful information that I um at the school I was at we were only supposed to keep our form groups for key stage three and then we would be rotated around for key stage oh, four okay. and I, I liked my my form so much that I went and asked the senior deputy if I could keep them into year 10 and she said no 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 you can't you know the system deal with the system um and then she came back to me the following day and said, Oh, we're going to use you as a pilot. Use <laughs> you <And> I thought <laughs> and, and I, I was really pleased. And then I forget how I worked it out. It may have been a friendly deputy head said, You know, she spoke to the head about this. This is one way to keep you and stop stop you leaving the school because you oh. obviously you know. so I thought, well, that's a very that's a very worked out well for me because I loved that form group, but yeah. It was a very hearts and minds way of keeping keeping staff, staff retention, because I I stayed, I stayed to stay with the form group.
1: You know, that is so true. I think listening to your staff about their, mm. their request for pastoral things yeah. makes a huge difference because mm. you know if you if you request to go up to key stage five, key stage five form groups are often not the favorites of teachers sometimes sure. because two words, you cast references. <laughs> <I assume. laughs> I think there's only there's only a few people in the world that like writing Newcast references. I, I might be wrong. one of them. <laughs> I always really liked it. And my my husband, he always makes me to help him with this one. <laughs> like, oh, I'll do it. But, you know, okay. if you've got a teacher who asks to have Key Stage 5, give mm. it to them. Oh, you absolutely. Why I do that now? <laughs> and it's, it's really, I know it's obviously tricky. You can't give everybody what they want, but... No your pastoral role as a form tutor does take up a lot of your day like it's not it's not just like a little add-on to the, to the timetable it's a really important role and if you ask to have a year group or a key stage it makes sense to have that request at some point at least on it if you keep asking year on year and being turned down it's a, bit, it's a bit heartbreaking isn't it
2: yeah absolutely but it's the um it's the sort of the chemistry of the classroom of the school isn't it you know mm. you, you you get to interact in a daily way with those young people and as a form tutor, you get to see them grow. And that was, that was really important to me then. And that's, so that's my favorite form group. You know, I can, I can remember the faces now and and thinking about it. And I took, I took a great deal of delight in knowing I was their tutor, every assembly looking at them and thinking that's, you know, they, they know where I'm standing now. And I'm, and I'm, and you know, I, 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 you know I stick up for them. That was great,
1: I've great got advice. such a good question for you.
2: Oh really? Okay.
1: What no. do you think? I really want to know the answer <laughs> to this. What do you think is the best way to name a form group?
2: Name a form group.
1: So form groups obviously have names and they get uh-huh. you know schools do it in different ways. Sometimes form groups are named you know with initials or with just oh, okay. I mean, I worked at somewhere that used to spell oh, out the name of the school with the so we had seven S, seven T, seven B percent, and then it spelt out Benedict's like you know S T B. it's got
2: to have the form tutor's surname. That's what I think. Yes.
1: Absolutely.
2: Oh, that's I get your question now. That's a really good question because you feel disappointed when you write, show up at a school, you get given your form, and that they haven't got any association with you. Yeah, mm-hmm. i with you. I mean, I'm all for knowledge rich. And I like these schools that have got <laughs> that have got their forms named after, you know, Greek gods and myths and things. Yeah. No, I'd prefer them to be called, you know, 7H or whatever. That's my form. Yeah,
1: yeah. 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 My favourite form that I had was named after me. <laughs> Obviously, I'm just clearly a narcissist. But I'm glad that you agree that having your initials in there.
2: You know, we can be narcissists <laughs> together on this one. I don't think it's narcissistic. You know, it's
1: narcissistic. I loved it because they were yeah. mine yeah. then. They <laughs> large, like, my little group
2: yeah well you know you're looking after them aren't you and and you're responsible for them so you know uh, I I think that's a wonderful part of school
1: well thank you so much for chatting to me about form groups and narcissism (laughs) 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 and the importance of being a good role model in the classroom
2: oh thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much
0: Excellent. Well, that was, a, that was a very interesting conversation and I think one that made a lot of good points about you know the importance of form time and study habits and how we get into them. So yeah, excellent stuff. Okay, the final piece we're going to look at today is actually, I think this is the first time we've done this, this is from the plenary section of the magazine. So it's not one of the features, um, but it's about a topic that's, that's absolutely hit the headlines a lot in the last few weeks. And I think it's very interesting. It's about ventilation um i recently wrote a quite a long-form piece about ventilation for the website and some of this piece in the plenary section uses some of that information sort of within this to sort of look at the wide issue in a sort of short-form way based partly on the fact that the government announced funding for co2 monitors has been uh, made available to give schools monitors and yeah like ventilation who knew it was such a big thing i remember being back at school and you know stuffy classrooms and classrooms windows don't open and all that kind of stuff was quite common um but now ventilation obviously is really important because it's all about how to keep the airflow, how to keep COVID particles out of, the air, out of the air of a classroom. How do you do that? You can't just say open a window. You know, talking to people, it's very clear that lots of schools have windows that don't open for safety reasons. They're out of reach. They only open a small way. They're painted shut. School classrooms don't even have any windows, so you cannot just say, "Oh, we'll just have the windows open." You know, if you can't, even if you can open the windows, it's going to be freezing cold. That's not good for learning. No one's going to. You can't learn when you're absolutely. You know, your fingers are chattering and your, your teeth are chattering your fingers are numb and you can't hold a pen or whatever so what do you do do you buy air filters okay but if you do where do you put them how much do they cost how do you maintain them you know do they actually work do you know what to do with them you know again, complex stuff um the co2 monitor is definitely a good step because it means you can know if the air is, is getting heavy with co2 particles and by association possibly covid particles but again that's one good thing but then can you do anything about it and i spoke to one teacher and they said well in a way, and they were sort of making, a, making the point, they weren't being serious, I don't think they were saying, I'd rather not have the monitors because it means I'll know there's a problem and I can't do anything about it. So it's like ignorance is bliss rather than having the monitor. So I'm sure it's something that a lot of teachers, a lot of leaders are thinking about now, about looking at their classrooms and you know, what can we do with these monitors, where can we put them, what will we do with them. But yeah, I mean, it just goes share, doesn't it? Like a small, th- what the pandemic has thrown open, a school building quality, you know, for ventilation, for windows, for, for air filtering and, and why that matters. Um, so yeah Grunio I don't know what you think about ventilation if you've ever thought about it before much before the pandemic
1: oh well you know I, I had to teach in stuffy classrooms with year sevens trooping in after having PE and the the smell of when they they finally mm-hmm. left and the next class would come in like oh miss did you have the year sevens last like yes yes we did and the <laughs> the um the stench of trainers as they all take their trainers off and try and swap this. You could tell when someone's trying to sneakily put on trainers because the smell. And, you know, I don't, I have, I was thinking about this this morning. I I've never, ever taught in a room and all of the 10 years that I was in teaching, I never taught in a room that whose windows fully opened. And that was either because I was on a, a higher floor and they only opened so far to stop as like a safety measure or because I was in a room where the windows were too high up and just didn't open, or you know I taught in classrooms where there were no windows because there was no outside outside the classroom. There were just more classrooms because you were enclosed all around and you opened up into a hallway. But that hallway was you know downstairs and there, there you know there were no windows. And so all of this talk about having the CO2 monitors, you have to laugh because yeah, it's, it's exactly that what that teacher says we we can know that there's poor ventilation in the room but what can you do about it it's no good if you can't open the windows or you can't get air flowing in there what we need is the means to actually get air flowing through classrooms and the other problem with this of course is the fact that our classes are too big and particularly if you compare classes in england to classes in other european countries we've got a far higher teacher-student ratio there's many more students than there are teachers And that's just been getting worse year on year on year and this you know this comes in way way before the pandemic we've had a teacher recruitment crisis for a long time we're constantly missing the targets for teacher recruitment we don't have enough teachers for the number of students that we have and that means we've got huge classes and when you've got lots of people in small rooms then it's going to be a problem and we think back to when we had those i think it was 700 schools missed out on their funding when the funding for the building schools project got cut. And although they're announcing now we've got new funding and new schools are going to be improved, we're always playing catch up. And that means that those those school buildings just aren't fit for purpose.
0: Yeah, well, clearly, again, you've shown there, haven't you, that the topic of ventilation is a complicated one and a political one and one that goes into different approaches to education and the class size, and everything like that, which I think is fascinating. And I think I hope that from this, and I spoke to Chapel Graham Fox from the Building Engineering Services Association, and he was talking about this and about half a years there's been discussions around ventilation and school build quality. And of course, no one really listened to this issue because it just wasn't deemed that interesting or important. Um, whereas now, obviously, ventilation is important and we're all talking about it and thinking about it. And obviously you know, it takes a pandemic, I suppose, to focus the minds on it, but it's not ideal when you've got people going back to school and people are worried about case rates rising. I suppose, and I, the final point, which which he made to me, which I think is worth mentioning because I think it, it slightly circum <laughs> no pun intended, it circumvents the, um, the window issue, which is that he said, if you open the door to your classroom, you will still have the same effects really because a classroom will almost certainly be warmer than the corridor or the outside. If you're opening the door to the outside, it should then pull the new cold air in from the bottom, the warm air should go out through the top, and you should have a well-ventilated classroom in in a few minutes, really. So although you might have windows, the door actually... Would have the same impact. And he was saying you could even go out of the classroom while it's happening, or you could stay in there. Obviously, not ideal if you've got a monitor beeping away, thinking, oh, we should get out mm. of this classroom. But it actually was a simple idea. And obviously, every classroom is going to have a door, isn't it? You can't get in and out of the classroom. Yeah, a door. So he said days. that would work. Obviously, he, he <laughs> accepted it wasn't perfect and it could cause noise and, and nuisance. Yeah. it be, be cold. You know, if you open the door and it's outside, it's going to be cold. He's not saying it's a perfect solution. But if your monitor's beeping, telling you the air particles are heavy here of CO2, that might mean COVID two or three minutes of disruption of a bit of background noise. Yes, it's not ideal, but does it mean you refresh the air, make it safer again? Well, it's possibly a trade-off worth making. So I thought that was a good sort of final practical, useful point that no one's suggesting is, is oh, well, problem solved, but it's better than doing nothing, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. But it is giving me flashbacks to when I was in a classroom with windows that didn't open. I'd open the door and it was a fire door, so it was always like shutting, so I'd have to put, Boxes of exercise books to like wedge it right, open. Yeah. And then the the um the caretaker would like be patrolling the corridors and the kids were like, Miss, quick. And I had to kick them out of the way and let the door shut so I wouldn't get in trouble.
0: Well you see, like, again, this is that's a good point, is Actually, because these things would require a sort of an understanding of a school like that, why that might happen. And it can't be like, oh, well, you have to close the door because you know, it's a fire risk. It's like, OK, but we're leaving over for two minutes, whatever. Um, and obviously in other parts of the world, you know, the school doors are reinforced, bulletproof, and all these kind of things, so you probably can't have them open. But oh, that's, cool. a, that's a whole other topic. But it, it shows, doesn't it, that this is something that's going to be yeah. a lot on school leaders' minds on teachers' minds. Um, but hopefully, hopefully the situation is, is at least better than it would have been without the monitors and schools can find their ways through it. Excellent. Well, I think we've, again, we've we've run a huge range of topics there. We've um, grappled with some major tech problems through this recording. So anyone who's listened to us, thank you for doing so because it's been a tech nightmare on our side, but we've got there in the end, which is great. So yes, that's was the 27th of August issue of Tez. I hope you've enjoyed it. And we'll be back next week, hopefully tech issue free, and with John Severs in terms as well. If you enjoyed listening to this week's issue of the magazine Debrief podcast and want to read more of Tez magazine online and have it delivered to
1: your door, subscribe now at tez.com forward slash store.